Hey, everyone. Welcome. Mike Vogel here for Break the Ice. This is episode number four. We're in Los Angeles, and uh, the sun just broke through, and I'll take that as a good sign. Um, we're joined by Caps, former Caps uh, center, Brian Sotherby, now Caps scout, Caps pro scout, Brian Sotherby. Right. So uh, welcome. Thanks for coming in uh, with us, Suds, and uh, let's let's dive right in. First, um, uh you uh you were born in Edmonton in the early 1980s so you grew up in that those prime Oilers years what what was that like as a, as a kid um how often did you get to 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 Rexall and when, I know you like Mark Messier was your your main man yeah. growing up yeah uh it was awesome um it was Northlands Coliseum back right, then and right uh I was fortunate enough my dad had season tickets uh even before I was born so uh, he he experienced the WHA glory years, days. yeah, all that, and uh, I started. What I really remember, the year that I really remember was '90. So, because yeah. I, I was last year, so yeah. Um, obviously, watching, I was going to games pretty young, three, four, or five. Uh, like any young kid in Canada, I was skating all the time. I just kind of had the itch. Um, constantly, we had an unfinished basement at the time, so I was always down there shooting pucks and listening to the Oiler games on the radio. Um, but the one, the one that I really truly remember was 90. That was, I was, I was eight at the time. And that was when I, um, you know, really started to become a really big fan. And and that's probably why it was more messy for me where I really, Gretz was already gone and, uh, you know, really just sort of started to really appreciate players and what what they did and and Messier was kind of the guy that could kind of do it all and had a mean streak and could score. And, uh, I just kind of gravitated towards that. Um, what, what was the, your draft day experience? And, and how, when you look back on it now as, as a scout, do you have a, like a different thought or take on, on how that all played out doing what you do now and knowing what you know now? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I have a different, I have a different thought or approach. I would maybe say on, on my whole career or the way that it started out, um, you know, early years of development and the different things with, with injuries and different things that I yeah. sort of had to deal with, probably more in that regard. Um, you know, on the pro side, I don't do a lot of the amateur scouting as much, but, uh, you know, as far as the draft day, it was, it was fantastic. I got lucky enough that it was uh, in Calgary, so I was two and a half hour drive from my hometown and uh, all my family and, and a lot of my friends were able to uh, make the make the drive to Calgary and spend a full weekend with everyone and uh you know we were I was 18 and the legal drinking age was 18 uh, in <laughs> yeah. Calgary as well so that made it uh, a little bit more fun especially after the draft and going through that whole process uh it was it was really strange because I I was sort of ranked in the in the mid to late 20s but uh Chicago had three picks that year and I think they picked 10 and 11 and then they mm-hmm. picked uh, or maybe they only had two, but I think they picked 10 and 11 and they interviewed me three times. Wow. So I, s- the whole time I was thinking, okay, that's probably a stretch to go there, but it probably started at about 10 where I was thinking maybe there's a chance that I could. So I did end yeah. up sitting there for another 15 or 16 and, <laughs> and sweating it out a little bit. And, uh, but I, you know, in my conversations with the caps at the time, I, I had a pretty good feeling, or at least I thought that if I did end up, uh, falling to, to that spot that there was a good chance I get picked. Yeah, and so you, you went 26th overall to the Caps in the first round that year. And, uh, I mean, I guess Ross Mahoney would have been the guy leading the interviews yeah. back then, him and George, George McPhee. And, and now, I mean, Ross is 
still with the organization, yeah. probably not maybe your direct report, but that, that's going to be a cool experience too. I mean, we're almost 20 years down the road now from that. It's amazing. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Ross was probably the one guy through the whole process, you know, even into the early parts of my career and then throughout my career that, uh, you know, I maintained a, a great relationship with and, and obviously me being here today probably has a, a large part to do with Ross and just, uh, you know, his good word that maybe he put in. Um, but, um, you know, just to, to come back and be able to hang out with those guys and reminisce and talk about those certain experiences uh, around that draft time is pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of remarkable to me. I looked this up. So you, you, you debuted in the league, I think, in 2000. One two thousand two got a handful of yep. games in, and your first full season was o two o three, and that was a pretty veteran team. Like you would have been, I think maybe the only rookie or one of the few rookies on that team. Yeah, I think I mean, as the season wore on, I, I know that I was you know I think the next youngest guy was maybe Alex Henry and then Helpy. Uh, yeah, Helpy, and, and those right. guys had a few years on me, so it was definitely a a different time, you know, now the teams are a lot younger and, and, uh, it was, it was a very veteran group for sure. And, uh, I guess that's sort of what I talk a little bit when I mentioned earlier about just how I sort of look at different things where players have developed or, uh, and the things that have changed where they are today or the different factors that go into kind of everything when it comes to development or, or whatnot, uh, things like that. I mean, obviously, uh, again, very, very different time back then. And that, I guess that was Ron Wilson's, uh, last season as, uh, or, no, I guess oh, yeah, one so, oh two. So you know, when, you when I first so I was nineteen, yeah, and I played. I stuck around with the team. I think I was with the team for about eight or nine games, but that that's the old uh, you know ten games entry right. level rule. So uh, I played seven and then went back to junior for that season. Uh, and I and then I think Will Scott let go uh, yeah. that summer, maybe. Yeah. And then uh, and then Butch came, uh, and then that was my first rookie season. I guess full season oh two oh three. How hard was that uh, to be to, to be sort of the youngest guy and and who who did you who they stick you with as far as room, roommates go and how did you sort of find your way along? Well, I had to. I mean, the group of guys was great. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, you sort of gravitate to the younger guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guys like Rick Barry, Alex Henry, Josh Green was there at the time. Uh, and then more mainstays, Jeff Halpern uh, and Mike Greer was massive for me. Great um, guy. Yeah, I mean, I tell anyone that that'll listen that Mike Greer is the best best person I've ever yeah. met in my whole Co-sign. life. Um, just uh, so with those guys, those guys really helped me along and, and taught me a lot. And actually, the next year, um, I roomed with Greerzy uh, my second year in the league, and and that was unfortunately the year that sort of everything uh, <laughs> went. Uh, went uh, the other way but um you know again it was it was definitely a learning experience being that young and and uh having to go through it all but um you know better for it well and you you've alluded to it a couple of times so we might as well jump on it it's um you had a it was like a groin injury I, i think was it a tear yeah, so I mean, I remember back back in the day. I mean, obviously it was sort of well documented. Everyone sort of knew that I was dealing with stuff, but I don't know if anyone. I don't even know if we ever really talked about the full details of no, it. No, I uh, mean, we we kept that kind of stuff. Yeah, under you know, wraps. I mean, that, that that was the way it was, and and I was obviously playing, so I don't know if people really knew what was going on. But I think you um, played when you shouldn't have played. Yeah, and I mean, that was something I did throughout my career. That I, you know, if I could take some things back, yeah. I probably would have been smarter off and and would have probably extended my career had I done that. But, um, yeah, it, it really started, and actually I learned a lot about it 
over the course of two or three years and sort of what was happening. But uh, basically, you know, at Traverse City at, at yeah, 20 exactly. uh, was when it first started. And basically what was happening was with every weight-bearing step or stride on, on my left side, I was just feeling like a stabbing pain, like really high up on my groin sort of pelvis. Yeah. Uh, you know, I could I could skate, but it but it hurt, you know, so with every, with every weight bearing step or push, it would feel like a knife was, was stabbing me. And so it wasn't something where I had to stop playing, but you know, I off the ice, I walked with a limp, you know, it, it certainly took its toll on me, um, you know, from a speed standpoint, from a strength standpoint. Um, so I played that full season with it. Like I said, it, it wasn't something where it shut me down, but it definitely, you know, in a lot of ways I was playing on one leg, uh, I spent that whole summer with a specialist in Vancouver, Rick Celebrini, and he was just sort of starting the whole, this is when the hockey hernia thing was yeah. sort of coming out and becoming a big thing, and he started this whole process with, with bands and tubing and core and whatnot, and so I went to see him, and this whole time we thought that it was probably something to do with a hockey hernia, and uh, as it turned out with x-rays and bone scans and different things that I had a upslip in my pelvis, my pelvis was completely out of whack, and so what was happening wow. was I had a bunch of bone chips and the, and the tendon was actually pulling on the bone. So every, you know, every step, every, you know, yeah. was, so, um, that's the part that was probably the, the toughest was, you know, and really looking back and the impact it it had on my career. I mean, at the time I was always, Oh, whatever, you know, it's, this is an excuse or this isn't whatever, but you know, losing, losing a summer of training there. And then I came back basically, nothing really changed. We sort of figured out what was wrong, but we didn't know how to fix it. They yeah. had no idea how to fix it. Uh, they said, w- what they asked me was, had I ever been in a serious car accident? And which I hadn't, uh, you know, obviously some, some collisions in hockey, but, um, or postpartum women. That's, that's yeah. the only, the only cases they've ever sort of seen this, this type of thing. So, um, I don't know how much time we have, but <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm dragging on, but, uh, I sort of linked after learning that I sort of linked it back almost, I, I can't prove it, but I'm almost positive. This is when it happened was a year before that, the summer camp, uh, at world juniors. So I think I just left wash a couple of weeks doing the, the summer training in wash and then, uh, went to the world junior summer camp in Calgary and we were doing whitewater rafting. And yeah, yeah, I mean, when you think about the impact this potentially had on my career, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's not. Um, so we're white rider afternoon, we're having lots of fun and there's, there's guides and we're jumping in and out of boats and it was a good team building experience. And then eventually they let us pull off to the side. They said, everyone pull off to the side. You can do this raft, you know, just your body, you just float, you float this, this wave or whatever. And everyone's kind of thinking, well, there's a lot of rocks there and this doesn't look quite safe. No, no, it's good. You can go, you can do it body, body weight, just float it. So sure enough, hop in and what do you know? I'm, I'm concerned about it. So of course I get injured and I crack my tailbone right off a rock and basically like now I'm really floating. Cause like I'm almost, I mean, I don't know if you've ever smashed your tailbone, but it's, it's almost like a paralyzing right. feeling temporarily, uh, you know, at temporarily. Least. Like, yeah. so I was, you know, someone had to kind of help me and, uh, get out and one other uh, coach actually hit a rock too and he suffered like a pretty good charlie horse um, that's the only thing Man. that I can ever think of where I you know truly like jarred my pelvis or did something of that 
you know, nature t- to that extent. And it was serious. I, I missed the rest of that camp. Um, I'd never really, you know, it wasn't something where I notified the caps or anything. I, I missed about th- the rest of the three weeks of summer training that month. Uh, I had, I had x-rays done. It was just a bad like bone bruise and stuff, but I, I missed most of the training and I went into camp that year. Um, and again, nothing happened. I, I was healthy the rest, you know, the rest of that next season. I only played about with world juniors and, and whatnot in some playoffs. I think I only ended up playing like 45 or 50 games that year because I spent, you know, the first month in wash. But um, it really was, looking back at that, that's the only moment that I can truly think. And I, and I, I really do believe that it probably played a, played a big part. I mean, so this is a, a guide on a river, right? <laughs> Someone who's not even connected yeah. to hockey at all and gives yeah. you, you as, a, as a pretty young guy, some advice, some real yeah. bad advice yeah. that winds up having repercussions yeah. for... I think so. I mean, well, yeah, and I mean, pretty much my whole career. And so, um, you know, like I said, I don't know how much time we have. But so going back to the next season then, which would have been 03, 04, uh, I came back, like I said, we sort of figured out what it was, but they had no idea how to fix it. So I played 70 games or so, I think. The the year before, I played 72 in Wash, and I think I played the first, you know, six or something in Portland. So, you know, I played the full season and came back, and I think I played the first 30 or whatever uh, in wash that year and then that was when they sent me steve eminger and boyd gordon down and yeah. they sort of made the decision to that they were going to go in a different direction and Cono had just been traded and they were sort of starting to unload everyone yeah. and they said they didn't want us to be around and uh, <laughs> at that point i i you know got george and smitty our trainer and said you know i'm still i'm still playing on this thing that yeah you know i i really think that if this is what we're doing so I finally took a step to say, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should try to get this figured out. And so I went back. So the caps were great. I went back to Vancouver. I basically spent eight months rehabbing with with Rick in Vancouver. And what they ended up doing was uh, basically a, a tr- an ex- exploratory treatment. And they were in, they would inject me kind of all around my groin and pelvis area with uh, something that was going to turn into almost tissue. And and basically almost like work like a glue and a scar tissue to sort of stabilize the pelvis. And then I had to spend every day, twice a day, doing all these core exercises. It was basically going to turn this tissue they were injecting me with into good tissue and tissue that was going to sort of hold and because uh, they couldn't do they couldn't do surgery and put a bar that would end in my career so um, so I went through that for for about eight months and it, it actually took mm. like so I came so the next year was the lockout year and it actually took I was finally able to sort of skate with this you know pain-free um, still missed another summer of like real training. I wasn't able to like do squats or any, you know, real, it was all like body weight stuff. So, I mean, that was, that was tough. Um, but then what kind of happened from there was whatever, whatever worked also sort of triggered like some other, uh, things with, with in and around the groins and the hips. And I don't know if you remember, but I started having, you know, I, I know that year coming in Portland, I think I only played 53 games mm-hmm. and, and I wasn't having the same pain, but I, you know, I missed 10, 10 games with, uh, significant groin pulls and I think I missed probably 25 games that year with significant groin pulls and it sort of started this weird chronic groin injury uh, I mean I guess it was already started but yeah uh, more where it was it was actual pulls and I couldn't then then the muscle was torn and I couldn't play so um, you know I did deal with I probably my whole career 
I don't think there was a season after that that I didn't have at least one, maybe two. So Yeah, and you, I mean, you were done by the time you were 30. And, yep. I, you know, I know a lot of guys, most guys I talk to, you ask them, you know, even guys that are – and you were playing in the last couple of years in the American League. And most guys that I've talked to – they want you know they're going to have to take the uniform off me and burn right. it. I'm going to play yeah. as long as I can, and and I see that a guy like you who I, I knew you pretty well in those mm-hmm. days. Uh, I I've, you, you, to me you had the look of a guy who was going to play eight nine hundred games in the yeah. league, and um, it, it, it was clearly disappointing on a lot of levels, team wise and personal wise for yeah. you, uh, that this went down the way it did. Um, but it must have been like when I saw that you were hanging them up, I knew that it had to be just, I can't take this anymore. I, I can't deal with this anymore. I mean, that's pretty much what it what it got to. It, it sort of, my career overall ended up, you know, I had a various different injuries, and I actually in Dallas, I had a, a pretty bad back injury. Yeah, um, I remember that so too. So I had back surgery, and, and again, this is where I sort of say that uh, over the course of my career I learned a lot about my body and how the body works and and uh, everything on my entire body on my left side basically has broken down <laughs> over time and I don't know but it's all left side uh, so uh, but but that was sort of the beginning of the the real end uh, in Dallas was was the back stuff and I missed a full year after that and and going back to probably should have shut it down that happened early in yeah. in uh, October and I played with a herniated disc until almost the the end of March and and then it finally got so bad that uh, I had it injected, and then I was going to come back and play for playoffs. And we missed the last, we lost the last game of the regular season and, and missed the playoffs. So I uh, finally had surgery, but then I missed, I missed the whole year. Um, timing was, timing was kind of everything, as you've already mentioned. And then after I missed the whole year, it sort of ran into the lockout year. Uh, that was difficult to get a job over in Europe, so I ended up signing uh, PTO um, in the minors in Cleveland. Yeah. And uh, Mike Scarboso right, was on that team, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so I played with Scarbs there and uh, Paul Carey and a few yeah, of the guys right. that you've seen around uh, the last couple of years. Um, but um, that was sort of when I knew, like, I, I I was thinking about going to Europe after yeah. that. At that point, I mean, jumping in the middle of the season, it was um, it was tough to begin with. These guys are, these guys have been playing for a long time. And then, and then there's me where I'm still skating around on eggshells, trying not to pull a groin, trying, you know, it's really hard to explain, but, but you know, the mental hurdle of always trying to sort of tippy toe around a a groin injury or stay in control of, of your body and not extend too far and not put yourself in an uncomfortable position where something might pop that, uh, I was sort of dealing with that constantly. And then I actually got a concussion kind of late in the season and that lingered on and, after that, uh, yeah, it was sort of just. Um, in a lot of ways, the jersey had to be ripped off me, but it was, it was sort of ripped yeah. off for me in a way. Um, and, and at that point, I mean, that that's what you've done your whole life. You, you've played hockey, and and that was your career. Um, what was that at that point? Trying to decide what was next. What what went into that process, and how did you land where you've landed now? Yeah, I, I really didn't know um, at that time. Um, sort of like many players, I I wanted to dabble into a few different things uh, I took a month or two completely off um, have a place in Kelowna where I went to go visit and spend some time with my wife and, and two young kids and uh, just sort of I guess take a deep breath and, and enjoy life for a second and and then I knew I wanted to stay in the game I just didn't know I really didn't know how or in what capacity yeah. um, I thought about coaching but I also kind of the way that my career sort of ended 
um, you know, bouncing around a little bit at the end. Uh, w- the one thing that I really wanted to do was sort of get out of that lifestyle a little bit where it was, you know, you're just fighting for the next day, fighting to make that, you know, make that roster spot or whatever. I sort of wanted to set up set up roots and, and have a place to call home where I wasn't having to bounce around my family. Mm-hmm. And I sort of felt like uh, coaching is something I would really enjoyed, but I also felt like there's not a lot of security and I kind of mm-hmm. wanted a little bit more control over that. Um, so basically I jumped into, I jumped into some media stuff. I went back home to Edmonton for a little bit and jumped into some media stuff and radio, uh, started doing some coaching with younger kids and whatnot. And then, uh, my wife and I had always sort of decided that we were going to move back to the Anaheim area. Um, she's in, she's in the, uh, talent business as well. So LA is a, a good spot for her. And, um, uh, this was always sort of where we thought we would end up just for me, I w- ultimately made the decision that let's let's head down to California and I'll try to sort of I didn't know I didn't know how I was going to get back in the game but my one thought was you know I'll start jumping in with sort of the the Ducks alumni and a place where I was familiar with and a place I played and uh, see if I can sort of work my way up or make some connections there and then uh, I was just sort of fortunate uh, the way everything happened with with Mac getting the job and and sort of vacating a west spot that I, I caught wind that the Caps were uh, potentially looking for a Western scout and uh, threw my name in the hat. And, and uh, it's been, I think this is year six now, so it's been awesome. Yeah, and you know, I mean, remember the old CBS line, and, yeah. and, and you, it's, it's you, um, Ben Clymer, and Matt Bradley, yeah. and now um, Matt Bradley is your cohort, yeah. also a Caps Pro yeah. Scout. And Steve Eminger is on that team, obviously, too, yeah. a good friend of yours who's same same position for the Rangers. Yep. This is this is something that's crazy to me, Suds. I looked this up. Um when you look at that that o two o three caps team, your mm-hmm. your rookie year, yeah. the f- first full season in the in the league, thirteen there was thirty six guys that suited up that year, yeah. and thirteen of the thirty six are are still in the game in the NHL yeah. doing something or other. Um, Sergey Gonchar, Peter, well Peter Bondra did the uh, the yep. stint as the uh, um, the Czech national Slovakian national uh, team yep. GM. Um, Jeff Halpern, assistant coach, Tampa Bay. Mike Greer, assistant coach, New Jersey. Um, Steve Connor Walchuk was an assistant coach, I believe, is now a pro scout Scouting as well. Out west uh, for the Rangers. Ken Clee, yep. I believe, is uh, either an assistant or a, a scout. Yeah. Rick Barry, I think, is in um, player development. I think somewhere. Bear, Bear's doing finance out in Denver. R- Brian Wilsey's Wilsey's right. Doing he Colorado, is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Barry turned up for me last year when I did a story on uh, okay, okay. a bunch of guys. I, I don't know. Uh, Trent Whitfield's an yeah. assistant somewhere. Emmy. Um, Joseph Boumedian is with Maria the Columbus. Um, the Columbus organization. Craig Billington, obviously AGM in uh, Colorado. Yep. Uh, you got Ole. You mentioned Alex Henry. I think he works for Arizona yep. now. Um, it's 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 kind of crazy. And yep. then you still have, obviously, Dave Pryor and um, Butch Cassidy yep. uh, who were with that team, too. What was it about that team um, that, that so many of those guys went on to, to stay in the game and are, you know, kind of still preaching the gospel out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure. I mean, I think it maybe speaks to just sort of the, the type of people that they wanted to sort of build a team around or, or have in their locker room. And um, I, I really don't know. I, I Obviously, I think there's guys that um, – maybe don't quite know what they're going to do after hockey. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier where this is – you really do grow up in it. And, you, I mean, this is yeah. what you've done your whole life. And, Consumed um, you. you. know, it, it is it is your passion and, and um, it's what you want to do sort of every day. And I think ultimately we just all gravitate back towards what we know and, yeah. and what we really uh, enjoy. I mean, for me, 
Um, it's obviously different than playing, but in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm still playing. You know, I, I get to watch this team and, and, you know, there's, there's all different parts of, of this job and, and that are really enjoyable. But, you know, for me, the things that are most enjoyable are, uh, you know, going to meetings, obviously when we're doing trade deadline and free agency and, and getting to be involved in that. But quite honestly, you know, sitting at home on a game day and, and getting to be home and or watching a recorded game or, or getting to just plop down on the couch and, and pull for the caps. Um, you know, it, it, it almost feels like a game day in a way, except I don't have to beat my body up. But, but you're you're pulling on the same rope with, with everyone in the front office and, and you feel a part of something still. I was going to say, you still have the camaraderie. You're yeah. still part of a team that has a goal. Yeah. You're trying to win the whole thing. Um, but I'm guessing, too, it's a little bit different because you've got – you know, when you're a player, you go to the rink every day. You practice. Mm-hmm. You have games. You th- that camaraderie. Those guys are sure. right there. This is, it's a little more dis- different yep. because you're you're on the road. You're you're by yourself. You're with yep. other scouts, but they're not they're not working for you. You kind of have to navigate those relationships yeah. as well too. Kind of keep what's in your head, in your head for sure or around those guys, but but still be friendly with them. They're right. working for the same thing, but for different organizations. How does that? that whole dynamic work, because that's going to be a lot different from being a player. That's probably the biggest difference maybe between what you're doing now. and For sure. It's, it, it is very different and it is funny because there are different guys that uh, want to talk a lot or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe want to divulge a little too much or whatever. And I'm always very standoffish in the sense of like, I don't really want to talk shop or hockey with you guys because yeah. then we're potentially <laughs> talking about stuff we shouldn't, or I don't want to tell you what we're up to. So it definitely is, uh, it definitely is a little different in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's again, a lot of the guys you talked about too, that, that, uh, are still in the game. I'm, I'm still good friends with and close with. And, uh, we, we have the ability to sort of talk about different stuff and talk about the sport without, I guess, giving away too much. But, uh, yeah, it is different because you are far, but, um, you know, with our group, we've, we've got a, a really tight front office yeah. group and, and a team that uh, they really truly feel like teammates. You know, we're, we're all pulling together and for one another and we're all out trying to hustle and, and provide the, the information and best information we can to Mac. And, uh, you know, it's fun when we can get together and come in for those meetings four or five times a year and, uh, you know, really feel like a team. Well, I think you guys make an absolute difference too. I mean, we, we can look and see what guys like – um, Brett Connolly have meant to the team over the year. Probably the biggest example is Michael Kempney. Mm-hmm. So give us an idea of like how that, that goes down uh, in the middle of that 17-18 season. You guys obviously have identified a need. Uh, how, how does it come up that, hey, there's a guy in Chicago who's kind of parked. He's in Joel Quenville's doghouse. Maybe this guy can, can help us. Without yeah. obviously divulging any company secrets here, just give us an idea of how that comes from and eh, maybe we should kick the tires on this guy yeah. too. Here he is hoisting the cup. Yeah, in no, Vegas. for sure. I mean, that one was was really just that in the sense of uh, we were coming off the expansion draft and lost Schmitty. Uh, obviously, that was a, a big hole, yeah. and a big loss for us, and um, wasn't ideal. Uh, but we went into that year knowing that we, you know, we needed to sort of fill that void, uh, and we were, you know, it, it took till till February, but we were. We were sort of tracking guys and, and had guys in mind all season. And then obviously, like you said, you're sort of looking uh, for teams or, or players that maybe are in the doghouse or, or they're not getting played for, for whatever reason. And uh, you're trying to figure out, will that work? Um, and so, 
uh, obviously saw saw him play a few times in Jerebek and and you know you watch a lot of video and and try to do your homework as best you can and uh, ultimately sort of drill down and identify a few guys that uh, we think might might work and and based on what we've seen and what we've watched and what we know and um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and uh, with a guy like Kemp's I mean he slid in and and did a great job and uh, everything worked out well. Man, he made all the difference, I think. Um, wh- what was the adjustment like as far as when you first started scouting to where you are now, like in your sixth year? How do you how do you go about, you know, honing your craft and improving and, and bringing yourself, you know, just trying to make yourself better every yeah. day like, like you were trying to do as a player? Yeah, I think you're constantly learning. I, I think the landscape of the game today is – far different than when I even started six yeah, years no ago. I mean, it shifted completely. It's almost shifted a little bit ba- back the other way again. I mean, it's you've got data and different things that, that are coming into play. And, uh, you know, there's just tons of stuff that, uh, you know, you always have to be evolving. And um, that, that's what's been the most fun is that, that you are constantly learning. I think, you know, my first year coming in pretty green, um, not knowing exactly what the whole job entails to where now, you know, as far as like off the ice stuff, I mean, knowing where to go and drive and rinks and hotels. I mean, that stuff's all uh, secondhand <laughs> now, but um, you know, I've learned a lot from Mac, Chris Patrick, the guys that have been around here uh, a lot, how to, you know, like, like anything um, with, with players and evaluating, I would say that it, there's ebbs and flows. I mean, never get too high, never get too low as a player. I think you can catch players on a certain night and they look fantastic. You can catch them another night and they look terrible. And uh, you really got to figure out how to, how to find sort of the middle ground and, and what you're really seeing. And, and that's where using all the tools that, that we have and, and that we can uh, are very important. And we use our group. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of very smart people in our front office and we have good chemistry together and we can critique each other. And at the same time, uh, you know, we're all pulling for one another and hopefully we, at the end of it, we come out with the right player. Um, and you're mostly Western, Western U S Western Canada based. For the most part. Yeah. Um, best, best cities, best, uh, best rinks out this way. Uh, I, th- I mean, I, I, th- I, the boys, the boys get on me cause they say I have it too easy out here, but I think I'm living in the best, best division as far as when it comes to scouting and whatnot. <laughs> I don't disagree. Uh, you know, I, I have a, a young family. I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and, uh, obviously scouting your, your, watching a lot of hockey and you're gone a lot of evenings but it's uh definitely nice to be here i've got six six cities that i can drive or six games six teams i can drive to and and be home um you know la anaheim and then i can shoot to vegas if i if i want to uh, rather quickly and you've got ontario san diego bakersfield all pretty close and i can scoot to san jose on a quick one and and arizona and so i've i've got some pretty good cities that i can uh, get in out of pretty good um how do you spend downtime now as a scout versus uh, I, you know, I have long conversations with Steve Bowman about this, just yeah. killing time before games or when you're on the road. And his, his gig is obviously a lot different uh, from sure. yours, but yeah. how, how do you kill downtime? What's the best way to do it? Uh, you know, a lot of times you're, you're traveling or you're doing, you know, reports there. There's a lot of reports. You're trying to watch video. I, I during the season, I don't know if there's a ton of downtime with mm. with the kids and stuff. I mean, when I'm if I'm at home, I'm trying to trying to get them to school or pick them up because 
you know, I don't get to do that if yeah. I'm traveling. So that's something that, uh, you know, is nice for me to be able to do. And, and my wife probably welcomes a break, but, um, but I enjoyed doing that, taking them to their sports and, and, uh, and, you know, when, when the season's on, it's hard to shut it off. You know, there's always, there's always a game on TV, even if you're at home. And, uh, so that's probably the hardest part is making sure that I'm, that I can turn it off a little bit when I'm at home, yeah. that, that it's four o'clock in the afternoon and games are starting on the East coast. And instead of, instead of flipping on a, a hockey game, I'm, I'm maybe going to hang out with my family and stuff. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, so, so downtime is more for the off season a little bit. How well do you keep up with the caps and what's going on with them? Yeah, I watch, I watch every game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, whether it's, you know, live or, you know, it's, it's recording, I'm watching it the morning after. I mean, it's, it's uh it's important to know our team yeah, no and doubt. know our players um you know know what's going on uh, if there's guys going well or or changes that need to be made uh you have to be able to compare what you might be bringing in to to what could potentially be leaving as well so um yeah it's it's important to know our team inside and out is this something you see as a springboard like would you would you like to move up the ladder here Do you, could you see yourself as a gm or a personnel guy at some point ultimately yeah i mean i would i yeah. would like to move up um you know i'm i'm still pretty young in this and uh but like i said i i'm learning a lot from from mac and chris patrick and the guys that have been doing this a lot longer than me and uh yeah no doubt i mean i i would definitely like to uh to not just be a scout, I guess, uh, you know, forever. I'd love to see where it goes. Could you, when you were playing, did, would is this something you would have foreseen or could you have foreseen? Was there a moment uh, the, that you look back on now and, and, and you think, I mean, you mentioned coaching, and I think a lot of guys, you know, you, you could see a lot of guys yeah. as you're going through, just doing what I do and talking to you guys on mm-hmm. a day-in, day-out basis for, you know, the last 25 years, there's a lot of guys that I've identified as, oh, that guy wants to coach someday. Right. Jeff Alpern's sure. a great example. Yep. Um, you could see it. Yep. Is is that? Uh, but scouting is not something. Oh yeah, he'd make a great scout right. someday. Yeah. But but you know now that I, you know knowing you back then, I I could have made right. that that prediction. Yeah, I mean I don't know if I would have when I was playing ever just say oh yeah I want to be a GM one day, but I but I definitely have always enjoyed. Um, this side of the game, sort of identifying yeah. talent or seeing, you know, you can see little things in players at, at young ages and, and whatever it is, I've always sort of taken a liking to that. And it doesn't even matter what sport, um, you know, whether it's baseball or football or whatever I'm watching on TV, I, I, I've always just kind of enjoyed that side of it and, and scouting. And I remember when I first got into this, um, I can't remember exactly who it was, but they said, you know, scouting – a scouting brain and coaching brain are a little bit different. You have to think yeah. the game in a different, uh, in a different way. I mean, obviously, um, as a as a coach, you're sort of thinking about X's and O's, and you know, really strong on the details and the different things. And and as a scout, you're looking more for talent, and you're looking more for whether it's skating or the different, just different dynamics. I mean, ultimately, when you bring that that person into your team, they have to sort of be able to buy in, and you got to they got to have the ability to play within the structure and the details of the coach. But uh, I sit beside some former coaches up there and, and they're, you know, some of the things that they harp on on a player at times, I, I chuckle to myself because I'm, I'm thinking more, you're thinking more like a coach right now where, you know, that, that player is a pretty good player and, and he could fit in, uh, you know, to someone, if he could fit into someone's structure that he'll be a pretty good player. And so Things like that where you don't want to write guys off, uh, you know, based on sort of coach think, I guess. What are the attributes that you're you're mainly looking for? You yourself, 
Uh, someone that's really good at everything. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, it, again, with the pro side of things, it, it's a little bit different than the amateur side, where I think on the amateur side, your focus is on trying to find the best all-round player, wh- whatever it might be, and, and you're just trying to find the best player, where a lot of times with what we're doing, you're trying to find the best fit. It's need-based, you know, yeah. You're, you're trying to really find, uh, you know, who can fit on that fourth line and play the type of style that we want to play and, and what attributes can they bring? And, you know, that, that player can't necessarily play a top six role. So there's just different, there's, I I guess it's more of that, Uh, you know, what, what our specific need is at the time and then, and then trying to identify players that will fit. As the trade deadline approaches, do you get a kick out of the the writers who take photographs of the scouting lists in various do, buildings, yeah, saying, yeah, "Oh, look, yeah. there's two guys from Vegas here. That's that means right. they're they're definitely gonna you know make a trade for this this yes. guy." It, it's it's uh, it's quite funny because most of the time it's just where guys are based out of, and you're exactly. I mean, obviously around scout, you know, obviously around trade deadline time, there there may be occasional time where you're jetting off somewhere to catch a game, but uh, in but large, it's very occasional. In large part, I'm in Los Angeles or Anaheim just because uh you know i'm i'm trying to catch another game and see another team yeah that's one of the things that drives me nuts yeah <laughs> um 82 game season when you're a player you're, you're, yeah. you 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 come in in september and it's all laid out in front of you no more than 82 how many games do you see a year now i'm around 130 135 somewhere in there so um you know four or five games a week um give or take yeah. sometimes you're you know again like i said you're you learn sort of the schedule. You learn where there's pockets. Uh, you know, there'll be there'll be stretches out in California where I can catch games nine straight nights, or you know, head up to San Jose. They constantly have double headers or different things. Right. So, um, you know, the Caps again are, are fantastic for you know allowing allowing us to sort of build our schedules. And and most of us uh, on the pro side have young families, so they're very. Uh, conscious of us trying to also spend time with our family and be home and so it's it's a lot of just trying to navigate your schedule as best you can and and allow for maximum maximum games and then uh enjoying some downtime as well all right last thing before we let you go um as a kid in edmonton you watched mark messier lift the cup in Mm -hmm. 1990 you dreamed about it your whole (laughs) life and then finally june june 7th 2018 i know you know you weren't playing but yeah. you Matt Bradley Ole Kolzig some of your your old teammates guys that you'd fought with and for over the years yeah. what was that night life it was the best I mean there's honestly I mean outside of outside of child's birth and and wedding day I mean I, I can't think of of a better day uh, that that night in Vegas and then uh, being able to spend a day with the cup and take it back home to Edmonton and uh, share with all my friends and family. Um, I mean, I'm going to get choked up right now just thinking about it. Yeah. it was, I can't even imagine. I think what I think about most is is how excited and, and how special and, and the feeling and how much of a grind it, it even felt like just mentally watching the games. Um, I can't imagine... The, the one thing that I think of, and it, and it does make me a little bit jealous, is that I, I do wish that I could have experienced what it was like to be in that dressing room and, and go yeah. through the battles and the bumps and the bruises and the, and the highs and lows of, of the wins and, and those big moments that year. Uh, I obviously still wish I could have won it as a player, but uh, it, was, it was pretty darn special. Well, your name's on it. You had a part in it, and you earned it. So 
Congratulations. And thanks. Thanks, uh, thanks, as always, for, for hanging out with us. Thanks we for having me, guys. Anytime. Definitely appreciate the time. And thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, we'll come at you again soon when we line up another guest here on Break the Ice. Thanks for hanging out. you got to answer to yourself.